Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another episode of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Shelly. And joined with me today are two lovely people. But first, let me say, welcome, Serge. Welcome, Shelly. Another exciting week. And yeah. we decided to bring one of our favorite person on the mm-hmm. show again. Ellie Canole, welcome back. Thanks for having me again. Apparently, mm-hmm. I did well last time. <laughs> yes. Welcome back, Allie. Have you guys watched the number one globally on Netflix? Have you watched The Squid Game? No, it's in my list, though. Have you seen it? Yes, I'm hooked. I am hooked. Oh, my goodness. So let me warn you, though. Did you ever watch a show like Breaking Bad or did you watch The Sopranos? Yes. Okay. (laughs) The Squid Game is surprisingly really violent. So if you're not a fan of that, then you may want to stick to the upcoming season two of uh, The Tiger King. (laughs) Well, so oh, I no. thought Squid Games was <laughs> a real be. show. I, I thought it was like a real no, game show. No, so the premise, and I there's no spoiler alerts here. The premise is individuals who are deeply in debt are tempted to go into this game where the prize is like billions of dollars. Oh, wow. And they compete in different games. And so that's the premise <laughs> of the show. Sounds so like I a want, recruitment no spoiler alerts. Yes, those who are deeply in debt are easily recruited into <laughs> this game. I haven't watched the entire series, but so far that is the common theme as to why these people are lured into competing in this game is the temptation of a huge win, but at what price? And it, it's really good, really good. So you know, violent. So it's a it's, a it's no very violent allowed in the room. No, okay. no, okay. no. But I will say my prediction is the number one costume this Halloween is going to be uh, from Squid Game. Oh, yes. I'm definitely going to check it out. Yes. Uh, I'm yes. very okay. curious. Thank you for giving us no spoilers, but an overall. <laughs> show. But I thought I'd better warn you because like, if you ever saw the mm. first episode of Breaking Bad, it was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I just can't stop, but it was very violent. Yeah. We've got a lot to talk about today. So let's jump right into it. Ali, we're going to put you on the spot. What is your recruitment insight for the week? Okay. So this has been bugging my brain a little bit. And I wanted to table it with you two because I know that you'll have wildly curious viewpoints on this, but job boards versus aggregators. A lot of people don't know the difference. And primarily the people that I used to work with are small business owners and they would go to their regular repeat offenders of certain job boards or what they thought was a job board versus an aggregator. And so now we're starting to see if we post, and this is totally anecdotal, so I can't say for certain that this is actually Mm -hmm. happening. I don't know what's going behind the scenes and all the AI that they have. And yes, the aggregators do have a little bit of AI, so be careful with that. What's happening is they'll post a job and let's say it's for an octopus wrangler. They'll post a job for an octopus wrangler Mm -hmm. and they don't get any applicants because they're doing the free version. And then all of a sudden they go, okay, I'm going to do the $10 a day or like whatever. They start paying and then boom, there's the applicants that mysteriously just appeared in the inbox. I'm wondering if people understand Number one, what the difference is between a job board where you just post and pray 
versus an aggregator where they do the web crawling and all that magical stuff behind the scenes. And do people know that their information isn't just there? It might be pulled in other ways. What are your thoughts? What's the better version for people to use? Is free always the best way to go or should you pay? Serge, are you going to take the first run at this? Yeah, I'll take the first run and you can jump in. If we look at job boards and aggregators, job boards don't really exist in itself. It's it's mostly aggregators that we see in play. And the more common Mm. one and the one that we all know is Indeed. So Indeed is definitely an aggregator and they have evolved, but they started off in 2004 as the really the first aggregator which simply hired mm-hmm. was the other player and they eventually bought right. simply hired initially what they did they were targeting job boards and being like hey send me all your jobs from your job board we'll give you additional traffic then they kind of let go job boards and they start focusing on career sites then staffing firms and as the time has gone by they're getting jobs directly from applicant tracking systems now A lot of people don't understand that when you post a job, there's thousands of aggregators. You will see your job picked up from aggregators that you've never heard of. And that was a big issue with Google for Jobs. Your jobs were being picked up by an aggregator you didn't really know anything about, but they're posting your job and they're trying to gather candidate data. Is there something you can do to avoid that? Not really. When your information is on the internet, basically any aggregators can pick it up. Mm-hmm. Job boards were very common and it was really easy to use. It was usually duration-based. You bought a 30-day posting for $600. That was the monster workopolis career builder model. Indeed came out with a model is a little bit different and we're seeing really it play out right now. What they did, similar to Google AdWords, it's a bidding system. So when you're putting that $10 a day, $20 a day, it's taking your budget and determining how high you can actually be in the job listing compared to someone that's paying more or less. Mm-hmm. It's constantly bidding. This is why in this particular market, the cost of Indeed has gone dramatically up. There's less job seekers but there's more jobs being posted. So the supply and demand has shifted dramatically for Indeed or other aggregators. Your jobs will still show up organically and free and you might get some candidates. But on page 10, who who does that serve, right? Yes. And it depends on the job. If you're posting a job in Toronto, you got to pay. There's no doubt. But if you're posting your job in Edson, Alberta or middle of nowhere, North Dakota, You don't need to because there's only three or four jobs pages listed. To answer your question, yes, you have to pay. But Shelly, what's your take here? A little more to add on to that. There's a couple of other things that I'd like to share for people to understand. Because right now, Indeed does own the lion's share of candidate eyeballs in this country, full stop. They own it. What Serge said is absolutely true. What you got for free in a less competitive market made complete sense. But there's a couple of other things that people really need to understand. Indeed is like its own environment. And what that means is they own everything. They own it all. So you need to understand the rules of engagement. And you may be posting a job and be completely oblivious to the the foundational rules. And if you break any of those rules, then you must pay. The example you gave of, although a fictitious title, but an excellent (laughs) example, Ali, because anything that the search quality team at Indeed deems to be misleading, 
unsure if it's a real bona fide job. And if their quality team for any reason suspects that your job posting isn't legit, they'll take it off. They don't owe you an explanation. They don't owe you nothing. You didn't pay anything. What do you expect? So this addiction to thinking you can just post for free is never been correct. You can get organic traffic, but you've got to play by the rules. So turning around and putting your 10 bucks down on the table will then release it from search quality for a number of reasons. But the first and most important is that it's a legitimate job. Some of the other things that people are still confusing job boards, the old where you would buy your 30-day post. And then I knew staffing firms, Allie, that used to go in and have somebody just keep moving your post to refresh. That was their job. Mm -hmm. You do that in Indeed and they will squall you. Squall in Indeed lingo means you are dead to me. Like they don't care how much money you have. They don't care who you are. If you violate their rules and they've got some real hard and fast rules, trying to game the system is one of them. Don't be refreshing your job and trying to get it back up to the top. They will squall you and there is no amount of money in this world that will ever let you back in. Now, if that happens to you as an employer in this country, you're kind of fucked. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's on you to know the rules. It is. It's a hundred percent on you to know the rules. So if you want free organic, you better play by the rules. So I'm going to add on there. I've been squalled. I got that phone call from Ireland (laughs) that said, hello, Allie. We want to know more about your resume free. And I went, oh, damn. They called me out because I tried to game the system just to see if I could get postings to get people to try out my product. And I was blackballed to the point where they're like, you're not allowed. You're not allowed. And forevermore, you're not allowed. And so I went to a different website, which is fine. That different website, though, had a different process and time swipe. We had a post and go up and then the employer said, wait, I need it to come down. We're not ready. And I went to go remove it. And they were still getting applicants because that posting site pushed the posting out to like hundreds of job boards, whatever their tagline was. And so I was having to go into the system to recall everything from Google to say, I do not give permission for this company to send everything. And it was nightmarish. Yeah. Absolutely nightmarish. So that won't happen in Indeed because they own the ecosystem, period. All of it. Full stop. Shelly, yeah. you had some really good key points when you're a practitioner, you're posting jobs, you have to be aware. They will squall you if you location blast. So you have yeah. one job and you're mm. posting in 20 different locations, but in reality, it's just one job. They will look at that in depthly. The other factor is if you're a staffing firm, you got to pay to play. Uh, 100%. No yeah. free for staffing. And yeah. that happened a couple of years ago. It's direct yeah. employers only. And and I get it. What they're trying to do is maintain the quality of the jobs on the site because in reality, that is their product. A couple of things. Your example of Octopus Wrangler. (laughs) So keep in mind, anything that they would consider clickbait is absolutely not allowed. In fact, it's the opposite. As you're posting your job title, the system will recommend most common like recruiters. We call them talent acquisition unicorns. Nobody fucking calls themselves a unicorn. There's some, I've seen some LinkedIn profiles that call themselves unicorn wranglers or whatever. Rock stars, um, gurus, right. all of but, those wonderful so, things. So clickbait is an absolute no. It has to be 
abundantly clear to the applicant what is this job. They want quality job descriptions. What is the work? It has to be paid work. That's the other thing. Mm-hmm. So volunteer and unpaid internship, no fucking way. It's not going on there. So it's only paid work. But I think the most common offenders would be the location blasting like Serge talked about. And what other things people will do is they'll post the job to say in Calgary. And then in the body of the job ad, they'll say, we're open to candidates from Vancouver, Toronto, Winnipeg. That's location blasting. And they will shut you down. So did that answer your questions, Ellie? I think it brought some clarity to it, but there's still so many more questions I have about this and how we can move towards a better process and maybe, I don't know, take Indeed out of the lion's share of the ecosystem or maybe just dent their bubble a little. (laughs) It didn't happen overnight. Well, Indeed, it's been around since 2004, so it took a long time. But in our lifetime, we've seen multitudes of job boards just die, like Absolutely. We look at what's happening in Career Builder, Monster, Workopolis, Simply Hired. They've either been gobbled up or they just don't exist anymore or mm. their relevance is extremely low. I'll, I'll leave it on one point that I think we have to be conscious. Last word, Serge. Last word. <laughs> that's funny because I, I was actually – I was. that's funny. <laughs> what do you want to put in there? Just this point, and I think it's extremely valuable. A lot of jobs that I'm seeing across the internet and different clients I'm working with have titles that fit the ATS. Let's give an example of- Excellent point, yeah. Engineer. I know what you're going to say. Engineer three. First of all, put an engineer because indeed in all the job boards go by search relevancy. So the closer the title, the more hits you're going to get organically. But then I'm seeing- Shift work, 9 to 11. I saw one Signing bonus, yeah. with a, almost 100 characters in a job <laughs> title. You are not going to show up on Indeed. You're not going to have any relevant traffic. So I'll leave you on that. Make sure your title is what you think people would be looking for. And to Shelly's point, they actually help yeah. you with that. To Absolutely. find a title that most people look for it. I want to talk about hiring managers. So we've all been (laughs) dealing with hiring managers for a really long time. And as we know, hiring managers are absolutely critical to the hiring process. But as recruiters, hiring managers can drive us fucking crazy. And they can drive us crazy for a couple of reasons. So they have unrealistic candidate experience. And you'll get that, I hate to use this word, this unicorn candidate that matches every possible (laughs) qualification, skill set, and then they come back to you and say, he's perfect, but can I see two more like that? Exactly. Oh my God. I know I'm giving- There must be more out there. (laughs) There's got to be more out there. Or we tell you, I need someone yesterday. Okay, perfect. I'll get working on it. Let's get all the details of the job. When can you start interviewing? Probably six weeks from now. I think I have a couple of time slots open. I'll see if I can make that work. Those are things that we're dealing with. But at the end of the day, our relationships with the hiring managers and how we deal with them is absolutely critical in the recruitment process and how successful we're going to be. So we need to deal with those types of situations. Part of being a recruiter is set realistic expectation Mm -hmm. to the hiring manager Also on top with data, show them what the market actually is and what the expectation is as far as getting those candidates, how many are there. You gain a ton of credibility and you're really seen as a subject matter expert. The other thing that we do and we got to stop doing this is being enablers. 
Oh, mm-hmm. I don't have time to go in the ATS. Can you just send me the resumes? Yeah, here's the 10 <laughs> for applications. They're alphabetically sent to you in, in the time date that I interviewed them. So now yeah. you can go through them and choose the ones that were interviewed first. So you can interview them. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Putting the candidate interview notes. I mean, they're like, oh, I don't have time, but this is what I have to say. Can you go put in the system? Start saying no. They have to be 100% accountable to their part of their process. That is not our job. And and the last point that I, I love to get your insights is they always want exceptions. So rarely that's a good idea. Every single hiring manager should not demand to be treated like a fucking snowflake. That's not the case. We cannot make exceptions to every case that lengthens the process or makes it dramatically different because that's just not scalable. I've said a lot. What's your thoughts on dealing with hiring manager? Where's your take? I feel triggered. I don't know if I should say that, but I feel triggered. There's a few memories that are surfacing with hiring managers. Oh, you're so right. We do enable them because we're just trying to get our candidates seen and we know we're sitting on some great people and we know they'd be a good fit based on everything that the managers told us. And then they've always done that bait and switch like, Actually, we're going to change the role a little bit to have a extra side of marketing on it. And you go, it's not an actual role anymore. You've now created a hybrid monster that we're not going to be able to put anywhere into the organization. But thank you for that. I think when it comes to <laughs> managers, you have to manage the managers. You have to work with them, set your expectations up front and get their expectations. And then almost... I don't want to say micromanage, but like check in frequently because, you know, that whole, I can't interview until six weeks. Make sure if I do interviews now and I pre-screen a whole bunch of people, are you able to interview on this day next week? Or can you block out some time? You're always going to have bad ones, but then there's the good ones too, that look at you as a partner in how they make their hiring decision and trust what you're bringing to the table. So with the good comes the bad. I feel like Could we trust all of them? No. Do we have to put everything on the table? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Because otherwise they're just going to run their own way. I've been in some organizations where I walked in fully prepared to have a conversation. Here's the list of questions that I've already gone over. Here's the interviewees, all of their background stuff that I've already done and prepped. And the manager takes a piece of paper and throws it away and says, I like to go off the seat of my pants with this one. And I go, oh, fuck. Because right then and there, I know there's no way that we have a way to determine who the best person is. She's just going to choose on her own. Yeah. Yeah. There's my week's worth of that wreck gone just into the ether. I'd like to say, trust them, trust your hiring managers, but upfront, this is how we're doing it. This is the process. Mm -hmm. If you want to act fast, this is how we need to do it. Let's mark some time now Mm -hmm. so that your crazy schedule. And I've been on the other side too. I have been that hiring manager. I managed a team of 75 people. Trying to get interviews done when you manage a team that large is ridiculous. Yeah. But it's a priority. And maybe that's just the HR side of my recruitment brain coming in. Mm-hmm. The people side, the hiring side is fundamentally important. Mm-hmm. Shelly, so. should we set SLAs for our hiring managers? As far as SLA, as mm. soon as I hear SLAs, I go, are they my customer or are they part of the process? No, they need to fucking own it and they need to own their responsibilities. I think an understanding of 
what I do. And yes, like you said, Ali, this is how it's going to roll. Here's what I expect of you. And here's what I can deliver. So I'm not really a fan of the SLA because it changes the dynamic of the relationship. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And the way I've handled it and tell me if how you guys feel about it is, okay, to get the timelines that you're willing to meet, here is where I'm going to be. I'm going to have these candidates to you by this amount of time. And obviously that can fall apart depending on the type of role. So if I can get you candidates at this time, when can you interview? So you do a work back plan as far as trying to meet the deadlines they have. That puts accountability on the recruiter, also on the hiring manager. And Mm -hmm. The only risk is if they don't do their part, now you can go back and if they question you why it took you so long, you have a record of what you agreed to and what made sense. It's not an official SLA, but I've seen organizations do it. So yeah, I have to. I'm not sold on it, Shelly, as well. But anything else, Shelly, that you would recommend for any practitioner or talent acquisition leaders that they should do to work with hiring managers? The last thing that I would... Add. And does this mean I get the last word, Serge? <gasps> you do. I guess the last thing would be that my leader has my back. So if I'm the recruiter going in to meet with the hiring manager and he says, no, I'm going to throw it all out the window. The example you gave, Ali, like, nope, we're flying by the seat of our pants. And you turn around and say, then let me rebook when we have time to go through this. And that you can walk away from a hiring manager, and I'm thinking internal, right? Who's going to then turn around and scream bloody murder because they're held to some deliverable as well in their job. And without the talent, they can't deliver. But whoever you report to as a recruiter, they got your back. Yeah. And they're going to say, listen, don't waste our time. We set out this process. You need to follow it. Okay. There's one last line. thing. No! I, want to <laughs> I got you. No, Shelly, actually move on to the next. <laughs> oh, you had me there for a minute, Serge. Okay. My topic for this week is I'm going to start with a question back to you guys. And if okay. you could just count in your head, the number of friends and colleagues and people that you know that are recruiters, people in talent acquisition, how many people do you know have either changed jobs or they're ready to accept another offer and resign? How many would you say? There's probably about five or six that I know, like, you know, 10 people total, five or six are probably ready to to go on to their next thing. Serge? I would say it's almost exactly the same number. I know three or four are really close to new jobs as recruiters. And I get tons of people asking me what else is on the market right now. Okay. Well, my topic is what recruiters want. So if you're in talent acquisition right now, this is the first time in my career that we hold a lot of leverage especially if you are really good at what you do, not just six months in one job and six months in another. I'm talking about, you've got a good solid three to five years under your belt. I sat down and I thought, what would it take for me to change jobs? What would I be looking for? What's important to me? Because the double edge of that sword is the fact that wherever you are right now doesn't have this right? The push and pull is the same. The first thing I thought about was technology. Don't ask me to try and recruit using Outlook. No, I'm serious. To the HR inbox. (laughs) Yeah. Or it, it all goes to careers at. So what that tells me about the organization is they really don't consider recruitment important. So tell me why I'm going to stay here when I can go work for a company who's at least got some form of automation. 
The other thing is if I'm recruiting for shitty jobs, you know, I, I follow a agency person who shall remain nameless and I don't know why I'm not naming them, Serge, because you know, <laughs> we're poking at them all the time. They're a temporary staffing firm, but their clients are offering shitty work. Like it, it really is. It's crappy work and it's work that nobody wants to do, which is the other thing. Are you paying decently? So if I'm looking to recruit a recruiter, it's easy. You go look at any website. If they're saying, email your resume to careers at, those recruiters are prime targets, man. And if they're having to recruit for jobs that are crappy work, that pay shit, great. And the other is budget, mm. right? If they have constantly said, we have no money, we have no money. And I hear it all the time. I can think of two organizations that are in the billion dollars a year status. And if you talk to anybody in HR, they're always like, we can't afford that. It's not in the budget. It's no. not in the budget. So you know what? I'm going to run screaming because there's lots of companies that do understand the importance of recruitment. That's where I'm going to go work. So let me ask you this search. What would it take? What would you have to hear from an organization that would cause you to go? Yeah, there's a company I'd apply to. Shelly, I'm so happy you brought this topic because it's one that I know a lot of recruiters are looking at a lot of different jobs. And my experience with different recruiters that I know in the industry, one of the things that always drives me insane is, hey, I'm going to take this recruitment job at company XYZ. And my first question is, what's their tech stack? What's their ATS? And 90% of the time, they can't even tell me what the ATS is. And I have refused, I would say I five jobs based Fact. on their applicant tracking system or the unwillingness to work with it. Because if I'm going to have to use a tool that is shitty, is a horrible candidate experience, is a horrible experience for me to manage, my hiring managers are not going to use it. You're just taking my job 20 times harder. So please, recruiters, this is the way for us to get better technology. Start demanding companies have great recruitment techs. That would be the number one thing. The other element is the willingness to change. So the willingness to adapt to what they're doing. And if it's not working and they say, we want change, I want to hear it from a very senior person. So the CHRO, even the president, depending on the size of the company, because if they're not willing to make dramatic changes, if it's not working right now, I'm not interested. And this is as a recruiter or as a leader. And the one that I think you might've mentioned is the hiring managers. What type of hiring managers do we have? What are those expectations? And those are mm -hmm. questions you should be asking the recruiters because the recruiters should know and they should be able to give you either good or bad of how it is to work with those hiring managers. The other factor it would take for me. It's a shit ton of money. <laughs> shit ton of money. You gotta pay me. And this is a time in the market that I can get what I'm really deserving. So do not take less than what you're owed because it fucks up the whole recruitment landscape of how much you get paid. So Ellie, where's your head at? Oh my goodness. So first of all, I feel like there's some like deep-rooted pain with some of those applicant tracking systems that you were talking about because people can't see this in the podcast, but the gestures coming through the video 
right now, I almost felt the wind all the way up 400 kilometers away from you. I would agree though, there has to be some technology, some automation, something to make my life easier. If I'm going to be doing your awesome recruitment, then I need to have some awesome tools and whatever that happens to be. If there isn't something, then it has to be implemented within the first six months. Yeah. I've heard before sorry, we're not going to put in any software because I can always fire more recruiters. I can't fire software. So I got out of that company real quick. I would say budget would be another important thing, but not from a monetary standpoint. I just want to be in the discussions. Mm. Are we going to be hiring? Do you know what that hiring plan looks like? Am I always going to be on the heels of my feet? Because Shit, we've got three more projects revving up and we need 75 people coming down the pike. And, okay, mm-hmm. so if we're always in this reactive standpoint, how am mm-hmm. I able to properly service mm-hmm. the company as a recruiter that works with relationship building? If I'm always just post and pray, post and pray. Like this isn't going to work for me. I need to be able to know what the plan is and be part of those discussions. Like I just want to be there to help determine, is this something that we need? Can we recall certain resources out there? That would let me know if I'd have a good working relationship. And then I'd find out who that one hiring manager is. It's always coming in. (laughs) What's happening? Realistically, if anyone tells you, oh no, all our hiring leaders are wonderful, they're lying. Because in every organization, I don't care if it's um, 300 people or 30,000 people, you're always going to have those, I wanted to say those just unrealistic hiring leaders. It's just a reality. Here's one thing that I know everybody in the audience is dying to hear us talk about on the topic (laughs) of what it would take. And you touched on it first, Serge. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. For a recruiter who has like the sweet spot, everybody wants somebody with three to six years of experience. What should they be asking for in terms of compensation? Oh, wow. That's a loaded question. And everybody I, wants to know. Like, I think but- there's a difference. So obviously okay. we're in Canada. I'm going to give you a little bit of an idea of what Canada and the U.S. Okay. In Canada, three to five years experience, you should be at 90K. Uh, If you are more experienced, Mm -hmm. so 10 to 15, you're way over six figures in this current market. Keep in mind, there may be some regional differences, but I agree with you. I think a good recruiter with five years should be at 90K. 90K. Allie? Yes. Agree? Disagree? I agree. That was double what I was making before. Yeah. How long ago? Like 2016. Oh, yeah. So we're in the hottest. We're in the hot. Yeah. 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 And I've been an entrepreneur for the last, you know, four years. So my price point is completely ridiculous comparatively. But I agree 90K would be good. Okay. Especially when you think about them competing against the staffing agencies that are making boatloads of money and having those relationships over there. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do to keep your top talent? Show me the money. Yeah. But like, okay. maybe so next, not a lot of people know that. <laughs> next level up, Serge, what do you think? First level in US, you should be three to five. You should be around 70K. Next level up, depending on the industry, but say you're 10 and above, you're, you're minimum 100. And then I think it can go up to 120 in, in that range. 
But there's one last point that I want to bring up before we move along. So I want the last. No, not the last word. word. The last word. So we forgot the most important things that would make people not consider going to work as your company as a recruiter. So we mentioned shitty jobs. Yeah. But if your brand is shitty and your glass doors, indeed ranking. So true. If you're going into a company that you're trying to recruit people with a bad reputation, it just doubles the amount of work that you have to do and the ability to sell a job. So that's my last point, Shelly. And that's the fun of doing the show is it just triggers other thoughts because that is such a good point. That's where your recruiter is going to cost you 110. Yeah. Oh, at least. So you may have great technology, but your reputation in the market is that it's a toxic workplace. Or you're under lagging the market into payments. I'm tagging on to the last word, maha. Okay. <laughs> but I feel that when you have no emphasis on the roles and how they are in the marketplace and whether it's a hot market or a slow market, if the upper echelon in the company are completely oblivious to what's happening in the market, then they're not going to be a great place to work for. Case in point, I tried to do a recruitment campaign for somebody that wanted to hire salespeople at $22,000 per year. (laughs) I'm like, that's not even minimum wage in Canada. So have a clear expectation of where the market is in order to have great opportunities. Like, Maybe something could change from the culture side of things, but we could have a full conversation on that at another point. I'm sure. Yeah. Another fun show. I think we had some brilliant ideas and concepts and things that people can take away. Anything planned for the weekend, guys? I am going cross country next week. So I will be in a different province. Oh, where are you going? Which province? Vancouver. So BC. Well, that's Although not cross Vancouver country. Might be, I know. That's literally it is when you live in Edmonton. I, yeah. What the I, hell? I'm from country. a small town. Thank you. It's oh. the first time I've been there since pre-COVID. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Shelly? I got nothing, man. You got nothing. I got nothing. Huh? What am I doing? You no, know, buying winter tires. That's the biggest event in my life. That sounds exciting. <laughs> All right, so guys. Boring. Have a great weekend. It was... Thanks, Serge. Thanks, Allie. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding or seeking, feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.